What a set of verses. It's the next in the bit of Peter that we're looking at, so we're going to look at it, but wow. And how dare I, a, a single bloke, stand up here and preach to wives and husbands? Well, I, I take some relief that Paul did it a fair bit, and he was also a single bloke. So if, if Paul can do it, I'm going to do it as well. And I think what we'll find is that what Peter has to say is actually far less controversial than we might expect. Let's open in prayer. Lord God, you are the great high God. You are the king over all things. Lord, you are the one who made us. You are the one who called us. You are the one who saved us. You are the one who has given us a living hope. You are the one, Father, who protects us, covers us, keeps for us secure that which we have been promised, even life with you. Father, I pray that as we continue to work our way through Peter's letter to the churches in ages past, that you would open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us today. Lord, for this particular set of verses which can sometimes engender all sorts of responses. Lord, I I just pray that, that you would break through any preconceptions which we might have. Lord, that you would open our eyes to what you have to say. Lord, that you would show us your truth for today. Holy Spirit, I dare to ask that you might even use the words of this mouth this morning. Amen. You're right, Graham, thank you for the reading by the way, you're right that we cannot read this passage in isolation. In fact, let's just go back and and read the cap verse, the verse which, which sort of covers everything which Peter is saying from here up until the end of chapter 3 ish. Uh, that's chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. These are the key verses. These are the point that Peter makes, and everything following this is the working out in practice of the point that Peter makes. What does Peter say? He says, Friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives, here's his point, among the pagans, that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. You see, what Peter is writing about here is not so much Christian households, but Christian households in the context of a non-Christian society and a non-Christian world. And even more specifically, what he's writing about in the first five or six verses is Christian wives living in the context of a marriage where their partner is not a Christian. And I I suspect that that a lot of what he says is applicable if you're a husband living with a non-Christian wife. Now, I realize that most people here are Christians, (laughs) married to a Christian. But I wondered, these two ladies over here aren't. Um, Did one of you guys want to get up and and tell us what it's like living with a non-Christian? I did ask Val beforehand, so she's had a little bit of warning. (laughs) 
Fifty years ago, Kim um, gave me a box of chocolates for my 16th birthday. We've been married 46 years in March. Um, Last week, I started to clean out my workroom of 20 years. I'm still cleaning it out. I found two prayers for my wedding day. Now, I knew they were there because I had shifted to Golden Bay 21 years ago. And I'd kept them. I've now stuck one in my big study Bible from my grandmother that love is long-suffering and kind. That's what she prayed for our marriage. We married thinking we both loved the Lord Jesus, going to church you know, whenever we could, which was morning and night, I might add, in the Methodist years ago. I couldn't do it. And in 77, I... I just called out to the Lord and um, um, joined a women's Bible study group from a woman up the road who said, do you, do you want to join us? <laughs> you look back and you think, yeah, it's God saying, come on, Val, come on. You know, you've gone far enough, that's it. I was baptised. I was baptised with a woman who was my neighbour whose husband had left her for a younger woman whose little one had died two years ago with pneumonia and she's still my prayer partner. That's, what, 33 years ago, I think. At one point after I was baptised, I can say that Satan had a marvellous time with me. I um, wanted to be the boss cocky. I wanted to be the top in my job, which... And I was angry that Kim didn't want to be baptised with me. And he stopped coming to church. He still doesn't come. It doesn't matter. I went and had fabulous counselling with um, the Genesis mob, um, Ray and Cheryl. And I thought, you know, that (laughs) I was right and Kim was wrong. And Ray said to me, Val, your God is so good to you. He died for you. You haven't even, you haven't even spilled one drop of blood for Kim. That was the turning point. My marriage today is, um, he's, he's the husband of my youth. He's precious. Yeah, he doesn't have Christ as his saviour in his life. But God gave him to me. And Peter, as Nigel Merrick said many moons ago when I was at Subi, Val, Peter, that's what you've got to be like. Keep your gob shut, Val. (laughs) At. (laughs) That's it. That's the marriage to um, a non-believer. But he will one day. My heart's to die. I, I might be dead, but that doesn't. Fantastic. Now, I'm hoping that that's wonderful to hear. Thank you, Val, and very, very brave of you to, to share that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm hoping that the rest of you aren't thinking, oh, well, this is nice. I don't have to listen today because it's just about these two ladies over here. Well, you know, in a, in a way... Peter's focus is on these two ladies. But his principle is the same. His principle stands for all of us. But let's have a look at, at, at exactly what Peter says to us over here. Uh, before we do that, though, let's, let's just consider the, the role of women in those times. We all know it's not like it is today. Uh, Jewish women had... 
not a not a bad time of it, but but there were restrictions. They were inferior to men. Yeah, it, you don't get a woman to be a witness to something because how can you trust a woman? Uh, women usually don't get an inheritance under the Jewish system. Um, they don't get to choose who they marry. Um, they don't get to pursue a religious education. They don't get to fully participate in the synagogue. They don't have much freedom of movement. <laughs> and I just love, incidentally, just as an aside, the way God subverts all of these things. I mean, the first witnesses of the risen Christ, woman. Um, just time and again, God says, I will choose to do the way I choose to do. Uses Deborah to lead the whole nation. Fantastic. But Peter's not written to a Jewish group of people. It's written to people in, in the Asian part of the world. Um, and they could actually have quite a bit of freedom. They could run businesses. They could own property. They could hold public office. Speaking of public office, they could be prime minister. Except they didn't have prime minister. Um, they could vote. Took us a while longer to get that. And yet, in so many other ways, they were just as. Well, they were in just as unpleasant a situation as the rest of the women in those days. Because they were under the authority of the men in the society. Let me explore what I'm meaning over here a little bit. Peter starts off in chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. In the same way. He's just said to us last week, Slaves, I want you to obey your masters and put up with them regardless of what happens. In the same way, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Is he saying that wives should be as slaves to their husbands? I'm seeing a smile from a wife on that side of the room. No. But yes, in as much as we are all to be slaves for the sake of the gospel being spread. The uh, writer of the time, Plutarch, said that it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships and to shut the door to superstitious cults and strange superstitions. If you were married to someone, you were not, according to society, allowed to choose to worship another god. It was disrespectful to your husband. People, as you walked through the market, would look askance at you and say, what a dodgy, dodgy woman. And they'd give pitying looks to the husband, the poor man. His wife is rebelling against him. What does Peter say to us here? Because the problem was that many women were becoming Christians. 
Many women. I think that's the reason why we have verses 1 through to 6 are addressed to, to the ladies in the church and only one verse to the men in the church. Why? Well, can't say for sure, but I reckon it's because there's probably five times as many women in the church as there are men. And in fact, the, the, the women are probably more likely to have non-Christian husbands than the husbands to have non-Christian wives. Because if you as a husband become a Christian, well, your wife adopts your religion. In theory, at least. So what does Peter say? He says to them, I understand there is an issue here. That you have now become a Christian, that you want to serve God, that you want to you live in the freedom that is yours in Christ. Because you are free, you've been given this hope. You've been given this future, you've been given this, this release from, from your old self. You are a new person, and yet you find yourself living with someone who rejects the gospel, who hates the gospel, and who looks at you and says, what are you doing to me? How dare you insult me by following after the strange Jewish sect? According to society at the time, these wives had no right being Christians. And if they submitted to their husbands according to society of the time, they would have to stop being Christians. So what does Peter mean when he says to them, wives, I want you to submit to your husbands. In as much as it is possible, I believe, says Peter, Live as society would have you live. But do not give up on your higher calling. Don't stop attending church. Don't stop attending Christian activities. And this brings into conflict with your husband. Says Peter, because you... You're going to be going to church and he's going to be telling you you're not allowed to go to church, but you have to go to church anyway. And so says Peter, in everything else, I want you to just be the model wife. In everything else, I want people around to look at you and say, well, she doesn't, she doesn't have the same religion, but boy, she is in everything else. She is the perfect wife according to society, according to our standards, according to our traditions. Here is the perfect wife. And how strange she goes to a different church. Or a different religion. She follows this Jesus. There's a cartoon in the bulletin. Quite a nice cartoon. With a wife dragging her husband's feet into church. Saying, Pastor, I want you to meet my husband. He's decided to come along to church today. <laughs> Peter says that's not going to work. If you want to win your husband, says Peter, you need to. You need to win him with words that are not spoken. By your lifestyle. By your attitude. 
by the way you relate to him. In other words, and this is where it applies to all of us, says Peter, I want you to live even in your family life a life that is so good that it puts to shame all those who would slander you. Live a life that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And submission? (laughs) You know what? I, I, I don't understand why that is such a big deal for any Christian. I mean, who as a Christian grasps for authority and privilege? Don't we follow the one who, though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing? Taking the form of a servant. Isn't the Christian way the way of service? And as such, the way of submission. And of seeking to bless the other. We'll come back to that in a, in a second. Peter goes on with this, with this explanation in verses 3 to 5 of true beauty. Now, I hardly want to speak about being beautiful on the outside. My mirror cracks every time I look into it. Do you know, there are, there are definitely cultural norms for beauty. Today, you know what, a, you know what beauty is according to society. Um, thin, I don't know. Look at all the adverts. It's clear for you to see. I don't need to explain that to you. In Peter's day, you want to see a, a beautiful person, you find somebody with really nice clothes on. And their hair, you know, Star Wars, you, you see Princess Leia in Star Wars with her hair sort of all weirdly done. She would have fitted in perfectly in Peter's day. Fancy your hair, woohoo! Society looks at you and says, wow! What a lucky husband. Gold jewelry. And a lot of it is. Wow, what a lucky husband. Or to make the husband jealous. (laughs) Peter says, you know, it's not about that. Whether you're a Uh, a woman from Peter's day or you're a modern metrosexual man with gel in your hair Peter says it's not about that it's about an inner beauty that does not fade that stays vibrant and in fact gets more vibrant with age now there have been people that have looked at these three verses in Peter and have said well well Peter explicitly prohibits women from wearing their fancy hairstyles. And, and whoa, take off that jewelry that is so not Christian. Um, can't read it that way. <laughs> By the way, the, the precise wording that Peter uses, he says, these women wear clothes. So if we took it literally, we'd have to say we shouldn't wear clothes. I don't think that's what Peter is saying. What Peter is saying is that these outward adornments, these these things to make ourselves look better, these things to grasp the attention of others, are 
they do not grasp the attention of God. He says, Peter, I don't want you to live the because I'm worth it lifestyle. I want you to live the because God is worth it lifestyle. A life of real beauty. And he's speaking to, to women here, but he's speaking to all of us here, isn't he? Saying, live a life of true beauty, of meekness, of gentleness, of a quiet heart. And it's not just addressed to wives. Wives, by all means, be meek and gentle. But us blokes need to be meek and gentle as well. Jesus himself said that that he had a a meek and quiet heart. We are all imitators of him. So if we are all imitators of Christ, why then this idea of submission? Is Peter just writing to Christian wives who have non-Christian husbands saying, I want you to submit for the sake of the gospel? Is that what this is all about? It is, it is, is it just for the sake of reaching out? Is it just for the sake of missions that wives are called to submit? Well, it's a revolutionary kind of submission, this. As we've already said, it's not a following, a pandering after the submission that the world would demand. Back then, perhaps less now. This is not saying I submit because I am afraid of you. Verse 6. Or I submit because I want to get the status that is yours. This is a submission to Christ first and to the husband second. It's a submission to Christ who says, I treat you as a full person. A submission secondly to the husband which says, I will treat you so well. I will love you. As Val said, that's what it comes down to. I will love you with all that I am. And yes, Peter's saying, I want you to do this because of, of, of the influence that you can exert on your non-Christian husband. Because you, you want and you long for him to become a Christian. What if your husband is a Christian? Sorry, I'm talking a lot to the ladies here. Guys, pay attention because it all applies to you as well and to me. What if your husband or your wife is a Christian? Well, Peter in verses 5 and 6, he says, Well, let me give you an example of the woman, the holy woman, the holy wives of the ages past. These women who made themselves holy. By trusting in God, who said, I will trust in God because He will keep me safe and He will bring me to what He plans no matter what. 
These women that Peter alludes to, particularly Sarah, they don't submit to their husbands out of fear for their husbands. They don't submit to their husbands out of an idea that their husbands are superior to them. They submit to their husbands because they were confident that God said, I will bring to fruition what I have said I will bring. They submitted because that's what God called them to do. And Peter gives this example of Sarah in verse 6. And and he says, Sarah called Abraham master. (laughs) Sounds weird to us today. It's it's societal. It's the way of of saying, sir. It's, It's a statement of respect. And it says a lot that, that the particular reference, it's only once in Genesis that we hear her calling Abraham master. Genesis 18 verse 12. The context is Sarah saying, Abraham is ancient, there's no way we're going to have a kid. Even when she thinks he's old and decrepit, <laughs> she treats him with respect. That is what submission is about. It's not about putting yourself under the power of somebody else. It's saying, I will treat you with respect. I will love you. I will honor you. I will put you first. And we know it's not, I will obey you in all things. Because just a few chapters later in Genesis 21... Sarah says to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. (laughs) Abraham's a bit miffed, but God says, no, no, listen to your wife. Get rid of her. To submit is not to be inferior, but to love deeply. Just as Christ submitted out of love for us, even to a cross. And it's something we're all called to. Ephesians 5 verse 21, the most important verse on submission in the Bible. Submit to one another. Peter doesn't bring that out here because he's, he's speaking in the context of, of mission and evangelism and, and reaching out to the community. If your husband's not a Christian, you're going to submit because you want to be a Christian. If your husband is a Christian, well, you're going to live such a good life that everyone around you will look in at you and say, Wow! What a family! There's something strange here. They're not just weirdos. They're good people. Well, what about an abusive husband? Wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) What is Peter's motivation? Peter's motivation is people seeing our good lives and praising our Father in heaven. How does being bashed up bring praise to God in heaven? It's complex and 
if you know somebody who's going through something like that, you need to talk with them and pray with them and, and get them professional help because it is complex and there is a point where we are to submit and there's a point where we cannot submit. And if the husband or the wife who's doing the abuse is a Christian, well, then there's no point of submission there, but there's a point of church discipline. Just as an aside there, an implication of what Peter is saying. Right, wives, have you had enough of me yet? (laughs) I hope not, because it applies to all of us. But what about husbands? A few people said to me, oh, that's an interesting passage you got this morning, Nick. Because this sort of, this passage and others like it have been used in the past and really abused by people to subjugate women and to hold up male authority. Now that's a whole other question. But I don't definitely, well, I, I personally don't hold to, I personally do hold to an egalitarian perspective on theology. And I think that's kind of the, the position that Peter is headed to over here. What does he say in verse 7? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In the same way. Interesting little words, aren't those? Slaves, wives, husbands, in the same way. Relate to one another for the sake of the gospel. And there are those who who read it and say, well, verse 7 is saying that the husband should be the authoritative head over the household and the wives should submit to them. But I find it fascinating that in verse 7, Peter doesn't speak about authority. What he says instead is, your wife is an equal partner with you. An equal recipient of the grace. See, this is what Peter wants to highlight for us in this particular instance. He wants to say to us, Wives, submit to your husbands for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the world seeing, for the sake of the world applauding the gospel lifestyle. Husbands, treat your wives well. Respect her, honor her, know her. In fact, that word, show her honor, that, 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 that term is used only here in the New Testament, but, but the other places where we find it used in the literature of the time, we find that, that when they say show honor, it's not just about what you say, it's about what you do. In other words, says Peter, I want you to show honor to your wife. I want you to, to respect her in the way that you speak to her. And I want you to do things to show the world that she is an honored person. This is not submission and authority. This is submission and honoring, lifting up. Bringing to greatness. And Peter says, uh, I want you to do this especially because she is the weaker partner. (laughs) Not because she's spiritually less advanced than you. Not because she's stupider than you. Peter's speaking generalities. 
saying probably because she's a little bit weaker than you physically. And in society, people, she doesn't have the respect of society. That's changed a little bit now. But Peter says, I want you to, as the one who has the respect of society, the one who has the strength, your job is to lift this woman up so high. And we've changed here from Christian, non-Christian to Christian, Christian. Relationships. And and you know what? I I reckon (laughs) any man who complains that his wife is not being submissive to him has missed the point. Because it's not something you can insist on. It's something God calls women too and husbands too as well but if you're worried about it chances are it's saying more about yourself and you're not wanting to honor this woman (laughs) if you are striving in all that you do to honor your wife and to lift her up and to hold her in high esteem for the world to see You're not going to be worried if she suddenly is seen as an honorable person. It's ridiculous. And Peter finishes here and says, I want you to do this so that your prayers will not be hindered, so that your relationship with God will not be hindered. And we all know that, that when we are in dispute with one another, our relationship with, with God suffers. Maybe that's just my personal experience. But Jesus himself says to sort out our quarrels with one another, even if we're on the way to church to go home. Sort it out. There's a wonderful story, just to put this in practice. Uh, John Wesley, wonderful man, devout man, praying one day, and his wife was upset at him and, and he thought she was wrong and she knew she was right. He was busy praying. She took a cat and threw it at him. So uh, there in a very literal way their prayer was hindered. <laughs> what has Peter said to us? And, and this has been a, a difficult passage, I think, for me and, and hopefully not for you, but, but a difficult passage to get our heads around. But it all boils down to one thing says Peter, in your marriage, in light of the gospel, live a gospel-centered marriage. Submission and honoring for the world to see, for the unbelieving spouse to see, for the kingdom to grow. It all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to what he has done. It all comes back to him saying, I want all people to see me. Amen.